A reading from God's Word this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 19. It's kind of long, but it's good stuff. Let's jump in. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Everybody heard about this thing. Embarrassing. Okay. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in, in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him 
have a complaint against anyone. The courts are open, and there are pro-counsels. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church, and I got a lot of sniglick in my neck like a zoink. Uh, Y'all too young for that, Saturday Night Live. But I got a lot of junk going on with my nose, my throat, and stuff, so you're going to have to excuse the way I sound. I hate the way I sound right now. All nasally and everything. But I'm here to preach the gospel to you this morning. Prepare your hearts for it. As we continue in our sermon series in the book of Acts, today we will look at how Christianity and its spread caused a riot in the city of Ephesus. So as I look at this riot in Ephesus, I pose the question today in this world of issues, an issue-based faith and religion, what could and is the church called to be and do that would righteously disrupt this city, this country, and this world? I believe the church has lost much, much of its counterculture, edgy social transformation. I believe we as a church and believers have so fallen in line with the models and propagandas of the world that we have become simply a common nuisance and pest and not the progressive cultural transforming community that the Lord has caused, called us to be. A community of riot-raising love, beauty, grace, The passage today, I believe, shows us how God has called his people to instigate riot. First, by expressing our brokenness. And secondly, expressing God's goodness. Instigating and rightly irritating with our brokenness and God's goodness. Look with me at verse 18 once again in this passage. And it says here, also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When they burned their books in front of all and confess their sins, they are declaring and confessing their wrongdoing to themselves, others, and the true God that they have come to know through the ministry of the word of the apostles. This is a public declaration that they have been and done sinfully, that they have lived foolishly as if there were no God, that they're confessing personal and community fail and folly and flunk, that they believers recognize that they have acted less than the person God created and called them to be while allowing themselves to be treated and treat others less than what God had called them to be treated. What do we see here? Believers are called to lead and lean into this world confessing their brokenness, 
their sins, not the world's or anyone else's first, but their participation with the world's and impact on others. When we look at this passage, they're not burning anyone else's stuff or calling on a referendum or a law to be passed in the city to burn anyone else's books or to force others to see their wrongs. They cause and call for cultural transformation in a good way by leading with their own mess, leading with who and how they sinfully are and were. Believers and their church will turn the world upside down for good and for the glory of God if they stop confessing and pointing out how wrong the world is first and foremost and talk about how God in His grace saved those who were such like the world by confessing that we actually believed and struggle against believing that the idols of this world would make us happy and, and that we thought and lived believing at one time that being happy was the goal of life, that, that we served, that, that we too bowed down to our money and houses and pleasures and comforts and control over the Lord, that we failed and the stuff we thought would save us failed us too. What is funny about this mob here? Once they realize this paradigm shift happening in the repentance of believers for following the wrong thing, they realize it was going to hurt their money and economy, which was the real God here, not Artemis. They make it about everything else, and then the Bible says this in verse 32. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Folk had not even examined their reason for living. It's examining what they were protesting or what they were alive for. But ironically, what has happened in this country, and this city especially, is that believers and the churches are the rioters. You know why? Because we hate what confession and admission of our brokenness and our utter need of God will mean. It'll mean for us a loss of worldly power to shape our world and the corporate church swag to avoid having to just trust God and end up suffering and looking like fools, like the two guys who were grabbed by the mob, Gaius and Aristarchus. Not that we shouldn't have voice as citizens in our country and our city, but we must let it be tempered and led with brokenness and humility and not self-righteousness in our own power. So we must ask, are we, what, are we, what are we as the church yelling about the loudest? The grace of God in forgiving our sin, our need to repent, or something else? We have so often become the crucifiers of people in their ideologies, and we are not causing the riot out of true faith, but a riot out of a false faith. We must lead with our confession and brokenness and our need of Jesus. And when you lead with brokenness, when you lead with, I am a sinner and I need Jesus, it just changes. It humbles the way you talk to people and deal with people. And you don't come off all self-righteous and holy in a way that only your God is holy. It is the gospel-infected heart, and that changes everything. And everywhere we are looking and working and how people will be willing to approach us. And the church is not synonymous with words like bigotry and hatred and meanness and self-righteousness and holier-than-thou. Because I'm going to tell you, we are anything but. 
Our God is holy, and he declares us righteous by his grace. Not because we've done all the right things and lived perfectly, or even that we continue to live perfectly. But with that, not only does the burning of the books point to and express our brokenness in the world by admitting without loud actions and private choices that we have been fools, but also that we can be fooled. Look at verse 20 with me again. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then in verse 25, these he gathered, this is uh, Demetrius the silversmith, together with the workmen and similar trades, and said, men, you know that from her business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods, and there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificent magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. What is going on? Believers and people who become believers are beginning to pull away from the stuff that not only made them fools, but by moving away and not participating in what can make them act like fools again. They are basically saying in their actions, we are weak and we are fools for sin and evil, right? That this world is filled with so much foolishness. They would rather not be a part of a culture that would trap them again. So the believers in Ephesus who burn their stuff are no longer going to participate in the occultic stuff. We're going to pay for sex at the temple of Artemis, who has as worship temple prostitution or the selling of little statues or, or buying them, which were very pornographic in their favor, a six-breasted naked Artemis statue in silver. And then the sex pimps of the day called the priests of the temple and all of that went with it. They are saying, we don't want to be a part of that because that stuff will suck us in. These believers are not picketing against Artemis and Ephesus. They're declaring their brokenness and holiness in doing so, living as if it were true that this place is foolish in so many ways. And so there are places and people and communities and practices that we won't be a part of lest I start acting and living like the fool I am not and no longer thanks to Jesus. You know what will change and help family values? Not primarily an amendment. Not first defining family. But living repentant and holy and living gracious in and by how God has called believers to be family. When the church first owns and confesses and lives seeking God's help for its own divorce rate, which is equal to the world, and pornography use and verbal and sexual abuse and domineering, misogynistic achievement, child driving, overworking and rolling around, trying to be prosperous too, and dancing around the God of the Bible with prosperity, gospel prostitution, then the world will change and listen up. We believers are not called to, to say we are better and you are worse, so that's why we reject this or don't do this thing. We are declaring we are free to run taking from taking a hit off that thing or, or that thing taking a hit off us. You know that pornography viewing in hotels go up 
when Christians have conventions? And Charlotte, home of Billy and now Franklin Graham, is in the top five in pornography and, 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 and sexual stuff use. Strange, sounds like Ephesus. All over again. That's the home of Billy and Franklin Graham. This is the spot where, you know, they're telling the rest of the world how to live, right? If the church and its people will say to the world, this is our issue too? This is our sin before our God? So we must flee or turn off or stop because we know we will be in our fools for sin. It will cause more changes than a thousand public comments about what President Obama is saying or doing. The power of the gospel. And strange and awesome enough, Expressing our brokenness before the Lord and world throws the world and our communities and our families into a tizzy, into riot. It's strange, even if you're only expressing your brokenness, because it makes people see and assess and weigh and reevaluate their lives. And when that happens, people typically come up wanting. When they see you repent, when they see you throw your stuff in the fire, when they see you not value stuff that they value because of the Lord, folk get insecure and afraid. Because they can't admit their brokenness. Because like these folk in Ephesus, what makes you broken often makes you who you have become. The stuff you say makes you a fool is what makes most of the world wise in their own eyes. What makes believers feel worth less often is what makes others feel valuable. So when believers are throwing away the idols and not buying all the stuff, the stuff that gives Ephesus its values, the community of faith is throwing away. Understand, like the book in Idol Burning, believers often count what is very valuable, valuable to the world trash, filth, disposable, or what I would call repentant compost. Because the repentance and acts produce and fertilize what Vic verse 20 says, that the word and the Lord continuing, continue to increase and prevail mightily. And that irritates people. You throwing away and not valuing what is valuable to them. Using it as manure. Even if you have said nothing directly about them and just about your broken stuff, it gets them thinking and weighing their lives and makes them ask, what are we living for? And how is it working out for us? They begin to ask, am I counterfeit? Am I counterfeit in what I believe or what? And people, when they feel they are at a loss, though there is no challenge or competition, will pump themselves up like they did in Ephesus well with a, well, everyone else seems convinced. Or this is actually good for our economy and the world. Or that you're a sellout to your own people. You don't really love this country. But the passage teaches the believers not only that their brokenness to change and challenge the world, world, they're called to express God's goodness. Living and declaring that God has power for our redemption and has fully paid for our redemption. 
Look with me at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were, be, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, let me just give you some instruction as a pastor. Don't buy no handkerchiefs from nobody on TV. Don't buy no holy cloths, please, unless I give you one. Didn't I have one this morning? Yeah. $5. Understand what you see happening here. God has come to his people with power to redeem them. That the symptoms of a fallen world like sickness and evil spirits are being healed point to this fact that the God of the Bible actually has the power to heal and take away all that is broken in the world and its people, that Jesus has overcome this fallen world and making overcomers of those who are his. The Bible here is making this competing contrast here with the idols sold in Ephesus and God's power through the apostles. The Bible tells us that items touched by the apostles, like handkerchiefs and aprons, were healing people, unlike the silver statues sold in Ephesus that were only benefiting the sellers. People who had evil spirits were being delivered from demonic possession, unlike the sons of Sceva who were trying to take the power for themselves as if it were a magic incarnation to throw Jesus' name in there and then ended up getting beat up by the Spirit themselves. These believers are living proof that what is happening to and through them is not idle or idle magical practice. This is real power, the power of the true God at work among and in his people. And when we look at what was going on in Ephesus, it was like a sexual amusement park surrounding what people deem religious. But like an amusement park, they were selling temporary and expensive thrills, the rising and falling and being lifted and caught and made to feel good, like when you go to Carowinds up and down, and it works as long as you pay for more tickets for the ride and as long as the ride lasts. What am I saying? Ephesus and his idols and idol worship, though amusing, was not offering healing, but masking. A painkiller, but not a killer of what was actually causing the pain. The temple worship and money-making, get-rich schemes in Ephesus were not redeeming people. They were pretending. They were faking. We're selling amusement, which is symptomatic salvation, not true salvation. How do we know? Because their gods were but a man-made religion, not a relationship with a living, true, and powerful God. Look with me at verse 23 again. In that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, the little statues I talked about, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from our business we have made our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with the hands are not gods. There is danger not only that this trade of ours uh, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed. 
from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. What's funny here is this guy complains that the loss of sales can actually hurt Artemis, their local god's magnificence. And then complains that Christianity says that God made with hands is no god. How foolish is that? He proves a point. He basically admitted, is admitting that his god's power and magnificence is altered or increased according to what his hands can or can't do. He has to sell and give worth to his God. Believers are declaring and deciding that they don't need a God that they have to make powerful and present. They have a God who is present and powerful for their lack of power. And so believers turn this city on itself in riot by simply declaring and acting like the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, is powerful to save and redeem and reach us. And they act and express that by going back to get more and more of the powerful grace of God. Verse 20 says that the word of God continued to increase. That meant that they seek and pray to and need God actively in their lives, that their schedules and lives and thought life and, and family time is about rubbing up like those handkerchiefs and, 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 and aprons, rubbing up against with the power and grace of God flowing. That does not mean they leave their world and they leave their jobs or they leave their communities. That would not be obedient to the grace of God either. It means that they act like there is no other power known on earth for their souls and lives in this world but the Lord Jesus and like Ephesus, here in this country, here in this city, we not only live under the God of sexual pleasure and satisfaction, but in this country and city, we live under the idol of financial and emotional happiness. I'm not happy. What's that mean? I'm not happy. Know what being not happy means? The same way uh, Demetrius felt. Being not happy means that your God, your real God, not the one you say you worship in, the, in heaven, the God that you have to control your circumstances is not doing what you've asked your God to do. I'm not happy. The God of comfort and prosperity. And now, unfortunately, here, here's the hard part. Man, I, I, I want things to grow around here. I, I want to have a big church too. I want nice things. I don't want to watch other people eat. I want to eat too. No. All right. If you hadn't seen the movie Bath, she didn't get that. Okay. And now, unfortunately, that's when Halle Berry first started out. Okay, anyway, let, let me finish. And now, unfortunately, Christians and the church, get this now, have somehow equated overcoming and getting those things and having those things with the power of God at work. Happiness, financial prosperity, pleasures. And it is not necessarily and always true. And so we get real ashamed, I do as a Christian, about talking about the power of God at work because we have nothing like the world has a show for it. I mean, brothers just driving around in these nice cars. Man, I saw this Mercedes last night. Woo, my goodness. This black one had the rims. I like rims. I'm stereotypical. I like rims. 
I get my Mercedes at the Mercedes dealership, and I get my tires, my wheels from the guy around the corner. I don't get no stock options. It's no stock tires from Mercedes. They don't have the real ones. It's the guy that sells the pagers, too. Get your radio and your rims. Anyway, but, you know, you're driving around, and I'm, uh, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my 89 Mercedes, driving beside another Mercedes. And I'm just looking, thinking, I'm going to tell this guy about the power of God at work in my life. We get real ashamed, don't we? Because we have nothing like the world to get in the show for it. So many believers wrongly feel, get this now, like they have to be having the best sex, be in the best loving romantic relationships, be having the most fun, have the greatest prosperity, have everything be working right in this life for God's power to be truly at work and expressed and evident in their lives. And it's time we need to think backwards on this for a minute. The idol of financial and emotional sexual happiness and love and happiness and comfort and prowess of being the best and successful is something that is handmade. Like the idols in Ephesus were in this country. And let me tell you, I know that if I begin to pick at it, if I begin to pick at the American dream and, and capitalism and, and getting yours and, and being rich, it will feel like, get this, I am also pulling some of the Christian faith off with it. Because the American dream and its idols are so mixed in with Christianity that we can't see God's power apart from making us rich, happy, comfortable, successful, beautiful, correct, morally justified, in control of this world, power brokers of the city, and put together in a way that people can say, here it is. Here is the question. Is God's power a see and feel, here it is, faith? At first glance, sure, because the Bible says here that people are getting healed and with handkerchiefs and demons coming out. You can see that power, but what about now? What do believers have to really testify about when it comes to God's power? It seems like everyone else has more or just as much to show. Non-Christians are rich. Non-Christians are miraculously recovered from diseases. Non-Christians miraculously escape disaster. Some of them get better from their counseling, and some Christians don't. Non-Christian psychiatric medicine works for them too. Non-Christians have a better time, emotionally and pleasure-center-wise, than many of you in this room. Non-Christians drive nice cars at rims. You know why we can't believe and we can't talk about or live in the power of God to our world? Because we want it to look like this world. All good-feeling, healthy-looking, prosperous-looking, perfect family, wife and kids, and everybody doing good. And when we don't see those things, we go quiet about it in our faith. And I'm not talking about being a loudmouth evangelical extrovert. I'm talking about internally and secretly go, we go quiet in our faith because God isn't really doing anything. Hear this, and it's hard. I don't want this to be true. In this country, in this city... The miracles and power of God will not necessarily and always look like or feel like the power, prosperity, and pleasure of the city and, and country. As a matter of fact, riots happen in a good way 
when the power and miracles of God say clearly, this is not of man, but of God. When they are countercultural and counterculturally attributed, which me makes it, it hard to be a believer and it prosperous and moral and built on God, nation, and city, because your God will reveal himself and his power in everything but those things. So that it can be clearly said, this was not done by any man's hand or any man's perfect prayer life or because he sent enough money to the preacher or because, because he worked hard and tried hard. It will not be anything that you can give credit to people for. So when good things come or when happy things happen, we say, praise, thank God for his grace and mercy and not ourselves. You know, sometimes when, you know, you say, we got to look stupid sometimes. I always look down on them Christians that look stupid. When a car man at the dealership say, hey, we got your good car, good interest rate. Thank you, sir. We need to say, thank you, Lord. Right? Hey, do this. The Lord help me. There is this kind of, thank God for everything good I can enjoy, peace to it. Okay, we got that. We praise him for all good things. But what has God done that no human being can or has? What is the testimony of God's power in the lives of people? See, the healings of exorcism pointed to and is evidence of what? The Bible says they didn't get rich and happy and become prosperous than everyone else and that they controlled the city all of a sudden. They began to burn their magic stuff up to the price of 50,000 pieces of silverware, and then they stopped supporting the idolatrous economy, which in turn probably hurt a lot of their reputations and their own bottom lines, and then a couple of them, Gaius and Articus, were put on trial. Is that the sign and show of God's power when you think about God's power? What is this stuff evidence of? Of God's power to break the hold and allure and eventual destruction that sin and idolatry has on our lives that these people are living in the power of God because they are healed, that just by receiving the grace of God through the word and sacraments, they no longer value and are trapped valuing what this world has tasked to value. The believers can live in a world like these Ephesians were, according to verse 35, because a rock fell out of the sky one day, something that built an economy and culture and a God around, and that they, believers, would not have to worship it or need it or live their lives around anything other than God and God's will for them, that believers have been powerfully freed from needing everything everyone else values and needs, so they are empowered to suffer. They are empowered to be free to enjoy good things without needing them, and empowered to love and be with their neighbors and, and enemies and not have to look like anyone and live like anything important and are free to worship in a down place like this building and look like anything but a well-put-together community like some of y'all looking in here. That is the power of God at work. And it doesn't look like the world's bottom line. Nobody, nobody in their right mind would follow a God who promises that you're going to suffer and doesn't promise you're going to be happy. That's power. How come you're burning your stuff up, man? How come you're giving up this pleasure? 
How come you're giving up this thing? How come making big money isn't important as loving your wife? What, what, what does this mean? What is going on? God has freed us. Like trust fund kids who go live in a jungle like they ain't got nothing. Or go work with the Peace Corps or something, take them pictures. Like some big-time Hollywood star going to Africa or something like that. You have a credit and promise of powerful righteousness and love that God has given in Christ that frees you to live in this world and explore and live in its suffering and its poverty and its wealth with romantic reality that you have a father who keeps and loves you despite the circumstances. Now that is the power of God security that this is your father's world and the world and anything in it will not and cannot have you or control of you. Look at verse 40, 24 with me. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had silver shrines of honor, brought no little business to the craft. Man. That's all I'm going to read. Y'all mad at me? We kind of had a wild service today. It is getting late. I'm sorry. We don't have Lord's Supper today. I'm just going to make this final point. We're going to go home. Understand that the, the worshipers at Ephesus had to sacrifice and give money to the temple priests to have their version of redemption. They had to give their money to buy an idol to worship. They had to give their, their lives to be acceptable. Women had to be prostituted and mistreated in order for their God to be happy. Understand what's so called, somebody else don't like me. Understand what is counterculture. I'm more important than that chicken. If you get there late, you get the second part of it. That's the hottest part. <clears throat> Understand what is counterculture here. Christianity is declaring Jesus came, lived, died, and rose to make redemption and freedom for the brokenness of this world. Get this. Free. Nothing's free. Redemption in Christ is free. And let me tell you, it means that God can, all, can and will only be gracious and mercy. You want to cause a countercultural riot for goodness, world? Talk about Jesus paying for redemption. Tell people that God, the true God, is not asking them. It didn't ask you to do anything for redemption. That they, like you, didn't, cannot buy or earn. You weren't good enough for God to accept you. He didn't look you up and down and say, you have what it takes to be a Christian. You just went on in, messed up, tore up, and God paid for and provided everything you needed to be in his kingdom. And people will go crazy. It'll be a blue light special on redemption. They will go crazy wanting it and go crazy discrediting it because nothing in our world is free or paid for by anyone else. You know what? I don't like shopping at big lots. I like going to Target. Even if it's the same thing. Be the same exact thing. But because it's in big lots, it's too cheap to be the same thing. P. 
people will listen to this gospel. And they'll go crazy. It doesn't make sense that the person in power, God, would not require that you debase yourself in some way, like the prostitutes had to, or we promise ourselves some way, or, or maim or force ourselves to hurt in some way. No, Christianity says that Jesus was debased and discredited and became sin and became the opposite of Artemis in Ephesus or anything else in any city. That was magnificent. He became not magnificent, but beneficent, giving of himself so that you and I can come and be given grace and mercy by God for our brokenness and salvation from and in this world. That drives people batty because that kind of love just don't exist. I got to do something, Pastor Brown. I got to pay an extra tithe. I got you know, to change this up. I got to stop smoking weed. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing that before the Lord accepts me. When the Lord accepts you, he has the power to move your heart to put all those things down. And it makes the city upset. Because it changes the value of things. The love of God has been paid for and fully given. If restored dignity and eternal life and human beings have been paid for and received by Christ, then that changes the value and reason behind everything. If the most important thing is free, then all that is valued in our world drops in price. If eternal life is free, the stock value of everything else in this world becomes a trinket, a tool, a mirage, a cheap toy made and joined south of the border. That's outside of heaven. You know why people hate Walmart? Because they come up with this big price-dropping presence and others can't compete with the price of their things. When the price for God, God is already in praise, already paid, when the price for eternal life Jesus has already paid, the price for God's power at work in your life has already been paid, it makes what this world offers too expensive. The church should make the market drop when it comes to what is expensive and enslaving to the people's lives, and that is for real. We will pay less and call people to pay less for amusements and find ways to enjoy what they have for less and get more of what they do have because the joy and peace and freedom is not of this world and not made by hands and is not afforded at their cost because we offer freedom to be who God has made them free because Jesus paid by living, dying, rising again. That's how you start a riot. Let us pray.